Welcome to another episode of the Clay County Beacon Podcast. My name is Josh Allen, and today I'm very excited to have with me a man who has been highly recommended by a great deal of folks, Cornelius Jones, who is running for state representative in District 11 against uh, hometown favorite and um, you know Bradley uh, Bradley group member Sam Garrison. So, Mr. Jones, Cornelius, thank you first of all for being on the show. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for allowing me to come on and have an opportunity to tell voters who I am. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, you know, the point of the podcast, I told you this before, is uh, to let people hear from you. So uh, I want to put you on the hot seat early, right? So I'm going to ask you two questions that I think are really going to be pressure packed. First of all, Coke or Pepsi? Which one do you like? Coke. There you go. Right answers. One for one. All right. iPhone or Android? iPhone, I have two of them. There you go. Oh, hey, double down. All right. Yeah, I see him right here on the table. Yeah, that's wild. All right. So tell us a little bit about you. Who are you and why um, Why are you running for state senate? Well, I'm Cornelius Jones. Um, I'm not from um, Orange Park or Florida. Um, I came here by way of the military. My wife and I, we both retired from the military, and we decided to settle down here in Clay County. Um, in regards to who I am, my background is in counseling and psychology. I have a oh, private cool. practice. Um, so I look at everything from a human level. Sure. And issues that also impact human beings um, right. that go outside of the realms of policies. So with that being said, that was enough ammunition, that all the ammunition I needed to go ahead and pull a trigger to get involved with politics. Because what I recognize is that most of our lawmakers are all attorneys. <laughs> so, yeah, you noticed that, huh? Yeah, yeah so, me so, too. So they're great with arguing and debating um, issues around policies, but they fail to connect the people on a human level and the suffers that often occurs. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was time for us to change that. Um, but then there are some other issues that have taken place over the last decade. Um, at the time, I was in the military. And I wasn't able to um, get involved in politics. Now, I worked on some political campaigns for some state senators um, in other states that I was at, but I felt that this was a key opportunity for me to go ahead and pull the trigger and to run for an office in Clay County, um, understanding that it's very unique in some ways. And there's a, uh, I'll just get straight to the point, right? There's underrepresentation in Clay County for a lot of people. Yep. We have um, some 79% that are Caucasian in Clay County, a little bit under 11%. Then you have 4% that's um, interracial, um, under 3% for Hispanic as well as Asian. Right. And when I look at our local government, it only reflects one group, and that's yep. a problem. And it's been that way for a very long time. And so when I think about a, a county with 225,000 people, that has never had a black state legislator, and we're in 2022. That suggests to me that when we say we want to keep Clay the same, then what are we really saying? Right. Yeah, it makes you wonder a little bit. I think also um, part of that, uh, I spend a lot of time looking at the Supervisor of Election website. I think part of what you're seeing is, is just where people have sort of naturally lived. The Oakleaf area, which I think is where you are, right, right in, in the county, um, is sort of the area that has been developed more recently, and it has sort of naturally butts up against Duval County, and I think you've seen, we've seen a migration of, of folks of all different um, skin colors and political persuasions migrate into there. So I think part of what you're seeing too is is a demographic thing, but I, but I do wonder, you know, you, you wonder that also, um, uh, not only from a standpoint of race, but also 
socioeconomic stand, standpoint also. Uh, people who aren't lawyers and don't make a lot of money and aren't landowner, landowners aren't really represented either, right? And I don't think you, you're not a lawyer. I don't think you're a part of a giant land conglomerate like some of these folks. Uh, so that's one of the many reasons I was excited to talk to you. Um, why, I'm curious though, why, um, was there any particular reason that you decided to go for uh, like a state level position as opposed to like a county position or? So, great question. In, even though I live in the town of Orange Park, we have no local government. Right. So right. Oakleaf with 30,000 people, we have no local government. So by default, if I wanted to run for an office, I can't run for city council because I'm not a part of the town of Orange Park. Right. Um, so when you're unincorporated, your only options, although you decisions are made for your county over in Green Cove, it affects um, the individuals in Oakleaf. So the best chance to try to have representation was to run for state representative because the only sure. two choices are county commissioner or state representative. Yeah, and just for the sake of transparency, you are on the ballot as a Democrat, and, and I think there is a Democrat running. Uh, yeah, there I know there is. Leroy Edwards, he's been on the show. Um, you know, so, I, okay, so you sort of, sort of saw a pocket of, of opportunity to, to influence your area. Um, and we talked about that very briefly beforehand, uh, Oakleaf is crazy. I went to Crumble Cookies uh, last night and I ran into traffic and I was like, just sh- I was like, wait, what is happening right now? Uh, it's partly because the intersection with the, that uh, First Coast Expressway and uh, Argyle is just poorly designed, but it's also because that, that area is just booming. Um, the, the schools in that area are overpopulated and like they, they built them just recently and they're already like almost over capacity, uh, if not at capacity. So you mentioned briefly, and I don't know if you want to touch on it, um, uh, before we got started recording, um, you think there's an opportunity at some point we, we, the, we've got to consider, or the people of Oakleaf really have to consider incorporating Oakleaf so that there's some sort of governmental body there, right? Absolutely. So I've, I've talked to some residents over in Oakleaf, um, Josh, who are in agreement with that idea because we recognize that when you don't have representation and you have to go through the county commissioners in order to get basic things accomplished, in your own community, then that's a problem. When you put 30,000 people within a four-mile radius, in the event that something were to go wrong, we would really be at a a huge disadvantage. Even though economically there's a lot of middle-class families, probably most of the middle-class families in Clay County dwell over in Oakleaf, but then there's no representation. So how do we fix that? And to your point, we have a multitude of schools within that four-mile radius. So traffic in the morning and in the afternoon is crazy. crazy, as well as when you just simply want to go get something to eat. So, And there's no library in Oakleaf either. There's no there's library. No, so, you know, no. we're, we're here at the Fleming Island Library recording this episode. No post um, office. You know, there's no, no post office there, though. Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's just wild. So I, I think that's interesting. I never, until you said that today, I never, never even gave it a thought, partly because I don't, you know, I don't live in Oakleaf, so uh, <laughs> selfishly, I don't have to think all that much about Oakleaf uh, unless I want to go buy some cookies, right? Um, so, <laughs> so I too am a uh, you know military transplant. Though though my dad was in the military and we ended up here because he was stationed here, and then I've been here you know since I was sixteen. Um, so I, I think we have a lot of folks. Um, you know, that have that same sort of story. They ended up here, not because they were born here or they were here, you know, their family's been here for a long time. And I think a lot of those folks, you know, the, the, the thing I've been harping on for a while now is that, yeah, there's a whole bunch of Republicans here. Yes. There's, there's, you know, a little bit less registered Democrats. There's a whole lot of independent, 
voters. Um, and, and that's where I sort of see someone like you as interesting, right? Because there, there are folks um, that are like me that are dissatisfied with both parties, right? I got a lot of complaints about the Democrats, got a lot of complaints about the Republicans. So I'm always looking for somebody who's uh, a little more fair-minded. Um, and one of the things that you've touched on that I have touched on that has made a lot of people upset with me is local job creation, right? So uh, I think you and I, and I'll let you expound on it, both agree that, that we've got to, we should make it a priority to have more jobs here in Clay County so that people don't have to leave the county to work. Give me your thoughts on that. So 80% of the people that live in Clay County have to go to St. John's or Duval County for employment. And when you, you consider the price of gas, especially over the summer when it was extremely high, that put families at a disadvantage. But if we had some local jobs here, then that would really ease the pain of the pocketbooks. Yep. So, you know, one of the thoughts that I have, well, even for entertainment, if we want to go out to eat, you have to go to um, River City. You have to go to sure. to St. John's. But we have nothing over here in Clay County with all of this land. So right. something like Top Well, Golf. we have, well, I mean, we have like 14 chilies. Oh, yeah, that's you amazing. know, if we want to go to Chile, yeah, <laughs> you know, but I get when you're looking for something a little different, yeah. uh, you know, you got to drive, uh, you know, well, I mean, we do, you have one or two, you got like YDs, I think, and, and there's a couple that are, that are a little, a little different, but, uh, but I think, uh, I, for me, not only that, but also like the business jobs, like I work for a pretty big business. Um, I've been pretty fortunate since the pandemic, you know, as awful as it's been, the one benefit for me is I've been working from home. So now I'm even more of a proponent for jobs that are here in Clay County because the time that I have got back in my day from not having to drive to work um, has been amazing. Like my quality of life is better. I spend more time with my daughter. I spend more time with my wife. And and I think you could get some of that same benefit if there were companies that were here. Like if I had a 10 minute commute to somewhere in Clay County, as opposed to the hour, hour plus that it would take me to go, you know, into Jacksonville where my, my company used to have me go. I, I just think not only is it a benefit for people in terms of bottom line, we have more business here, which, you know, for the government, they'd love it because it'd be more taxes that they're, they're raking in sure. too. Um, but also I think people's quality of life would improve. Um, so how do you, like, do you have any ideas on how we, how we accomplish that? that? That's the problem is like, I don't know how to entice businesses to come here. I don't want to give away tax money because I hate taxes in general. And anybody you ask about me will tell you that's my famous line, you know, taxes, nobody should have to pay them. But how, how, what are your thoughts on how do we get businesses to come here? How do we generate that? Great question. I think what we have to do is look at ways to work with the county commissioners to incentivize um, some of the corporate um, companies coming to Clay County. And of course, a part of that would probably be through taxes, unfortunately, even though you just said that you, you hate giving away yeah. um, taxes. But if we really want to improve the quality of life for our residents here, then we're going to have to make some tough decisions. Yep. Now, I'm not saying to to raise taxes or anything, and I don't want you know the listeners to say, oh, here he goes with right. raising taxes. But at the same time, we have to be realistic about what we're trying to accomplish. Because if we had something like Top Golf, if we had something right. like Dave and Buster's, well, that boosts our local economy. Yeah, because that's what the Oakley Town Center was built as when when they first started building it. It was supposed to be just like the St. John's Town Center. It was going to bring all sorts of crazy stuff in like that. And listen, there's nothing wrong with the Oakley Town Center, mm-hmm. but it hasn't it has not been developed the same way that it was. It now that's in support. Duval County, but I get that there's when you have something like that that's well developed. Right. There's ancillary businesses that spawn all around it. Right. right. And some of those would have ended up being in, uh, you know, in Clay County. Um, yeah, it's a tough nut to crack, man. Like, it, you know, because businesses are so accustomed. 
you know, big corporations are so accustomed to sticking their hand out to the government and saying, give me money if you want me to come there. It's, it's, it's hard to, with the way the system currently works, entice um, people. But I, I know one thing that we, I'm going to mention it again, people that listen to this podcast are tired of hearing it. One thing we could stop doing is deals like that Niagara water bottling plant where we gave away millions of dollars in tax money and then they didn't even hire anybody local to work at that plant at all. So it's, it's funny that you say that. A couple of days ago, I was sitting at the bar over at Texas Roadhouse, and there was a an, an executive sitting beside me who was getting ready to go back on travel, um, who works over at that water, where well, he came here, I guess, to kind of take a, a peek at the landscape of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked him about the job creation, and he said, well, there's more machines in there than people. Yeah. Which, it takes up so much land, and I don't know how it was presented to the taxpayers at that time, because I wasn't here, but that just really seems to be odd to me, that we would have something that instead of helping our local economy or our, our residents to have jobs to create less than, you know, 50, 60 jobs, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, for the record, I don't care if that business is here and they spend all their own money to come buy that land and build there their factory, like whatever, like at that point, like if you did with your money, what you wanted to do great. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you come to the government and want to take money from me and my fellow citizens to come and do that, then I think those are valid questions. Like, is this business, um, you know, actually going to, uh, you know, do anything for the people that live here. Right. Like other than, than just, you know, uh, glad hand with the politicians. And there's another one, there was some, um, I saw it, but I don't remember the name of it. They just broke ground on some or opened some salt or sand mining, mineral mining facility here. Same thing. Big company comes in. We throw many, many tax dollars at them. They open the plant, and there's only like 10, 12 employees, and they're going to further automate it, and soon there will only be like five people working there, and none of them will be in jobs. That, uh, uh. And, w- and what's funny to me is that our county loves – to tout these things on social media. And if you go look at the comments on the Clay, the Clay County government post on that, boy, did they get roasted. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, and that's what encourages me is I think the more I talk to people, the more I run into people like you and I that, that are seeing these problems, like the way we're doing it now, I don't know what the solution is, but I know the way we're doing things currently doesn't seem to be benefiting anybody except folks that already have power and influence, right? Um, so... I want to pivot a little bit. Okay. Um, you've got some things on your your uh, documentation and your website, and and that are sort of important to you. Um, <clears throat> so we talk about uh, there are folks. Uh, there's an agency in the state uh, called the Agency for Persons with Disabilities, right? Um, and big shout out to to my friend Dan Burgess, who has helped me learn a lot about what was going on there. I had no idea what was going on in in the, the you'll hear it referred to as ADP. Um, <clears throat> You going to the state level of government, you may have some influence there. Um, in short, ADP is a m- not well-run organization, right? And ADP has been um, used in certain ways um, by folks that are currently in power in Tallahassee that actually don't help the people that are in, in need of it, right? And we're talking about people who have disabilities who cannot function without some sort of help, right? Right. Um, and, and I'm, I'm actually working on some content that's going to cover ADP in the future and really explain help explain it to people with another lady uh, who's going to start her own podcast about it. But I think you see some of those same problems. So what, what do you see as the opportunity? You get elected to the House of Representatives in Tallahassee. Um, what's your viewpoint on what's happening with ADP and how, how would you try to make it better? 
Thank you for that. I think that currently under Senate Bill 82, there were some provisions that were taken away that could benefit individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we have to do a better job with making sure that people that are already vulnerable and underserved have the proper um, representation when it comes to legislation. So for me, when I look at Clay County, we don't have any services available in Clay County for individuals who may need transportation. Right. So that's a problem, you know, to have a marginalized group that um, to this point, no one has really tried to do anything to ensure that if they need to get to their appointments, they can do so right here in our county without contracting people over in Duval County. Right. So I would certainly work to um, bring services here or to, you know, have a contract with some company who specifically serves Clay County. Right. I think that helps to go a long way because then when you, you know, look at the disability waivers, um, more than 20,000 people in Florida on that waiting list right now. So there's some a lot of work that has to be done, right. but we also have to hold our legislators accountable. And I've read the letters from some of the, the members that are part of change makers who had tried to appeal mm-hmm. to the state legislators as well as the governor on, you know, just being heard. And with working and talking to Deanne Burgess and some of those, um, some of the advocates for the group, the organization, you find out that they have been ignored. And that's a problem. For sure. My daughter was born with um, CP. So, but because we were in the military, there were um, resources available. Right. We, through TRICARE, we didn't have to be on a waiting list. So, right. for her occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, for help, for mobility to help her to have sure. a balance in the braces she needed. Had I been a civilian that was living in Florida, that would have been an uphill battle for me, right. my family. And, you know, no family should have to deal with that when they're just simply trying to make sure that their child has an opportunity to function to the best of their ability. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm famous for saying that I don't know that government solutions are ever good solutions, but the system we have currently, the government has decided to to help these people and provide for their needs, right? That's has been that way long before ever. The Republicans controlled the, the Senate. ADP has existed for a long, long time, right? And, and I've learned a couple of things, and people are – people are deathly afraid of the word privilege, right? Like, because it's, it, I think it's used disingenuously in some conversations, but um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, instead of saying privilege in what I'm about to say, I'm going to use the word blessed, right? I am very blessed. Not me, my wife, my, my daughter, or really anybody in my extended family has any sort of severe disability, right? We are, we are all very blessed to be healthy. I mean, not to say that, you know, we don't have the normal stresses of life, right? Um, I have had the ability, the opportunity to sit in on some meetings and hear some stories of people who have been through this ADP system, and it is horrific. Mm-hmm. Like, it is it is terrible. It is, it is either designed so poorly that it that it feels like it's it's it doesn't work or it's purposely been designed um to to just not work because it it just sort of gives you the impression that the state doesn't want to actually take care of the people that it it has put itself on the hook for taking care of right so i'm always happy to hear that someone you know if they if they make it to tallahassee is going to um you know actually going to look into that and try to change it because if we have that system in place it's got to work it's got to be easy and it's got to, it's got to actually do the job and it's got to, you know, allow people to speak into it. Like, man, some of these things, these processes that they've invented, I don't know if you, you've seen it. it. It is so complex. You know, I, I'm not the smartest guy ever, but I'm also not 
dumb, right? And like, I struggle to understand exactly if, if I was a parent who had a child who had a need, how on earth do you actually get them the help that the state says that, that they're supposed to provide? Like, it's just wild. So, so that's, it seems to be a push towards um, managed care versus yeah. independent. Um, and that's what we need to address also. And what it, can, can you tell people what that is a little bit? I'll let you sort of explain what. Uh, so managed care is primarily gover- government oversight, the right. thing that we're trying to get away from, versus affording those individuals an opportunity to have their independent living. So if you think about a nursing home right. versus um, a senior citizen community. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, the, the state wants to, to put people that need help just living their daily life. Cause there are some folks who are, are so severely disabled um, that they do need help on a daily right. basis. Uh, they would rather take those folks and group them together in, you know, what, what sort of a, a equates to like an old school, like sanitarium, right? Like they used to put, you know, quote unquote, crazy people in sanitariums. You just lock them up in a building and, and you have a few people that help them. The state is trying to save money by grouping people together and spending less money on the folks that would actually take care of the folks that uh, have these needs. And not all of them, not all the folks need that. There are some folks who actually need that sort of care, right? I think there, there, there's, you know, every situation is unique, but there are some folks that with a little bit of help can live on their own. Correct. They can, you know, and I think the state, the state, listen, let's just say it, the Republicans in Tallahassee, this is my, let me, let me preface this real quick. This is my opinion and not the opinion of Cornelius Jones. He has not said this to me. I don't know what he thinks on this. I'm just going to put my opinion out there. The Republican party in Florida does not value people who are disabled because they do not believe that those people will vote or donate money to them. That's my opinion. That's why I believe that the system is a train wreck. Um, again, not, not Mr. Jones's opinion. I'm not going to ask him to even comment on that. I'm going to let him, uh, not have to, not have to agree with me on that. Um, so a big hot button issue. I, I just want to get this out of the way, right? We're going to shift sure. gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about abortion, right? Okay. I uh, I am anti-abortion, right? That's all I'm going to say about my opinion because this episode has nothing. This is not to promote what I think. But we all know that Roe versus Wade was overturned. A lot of people have characterized that as uh, abortion is now 100% illegal everywhere. That's not the case. What the overturning of Roe versus Wade did was kick it back to the states. Now each state can sort of decide um, what their laws surrounding abortions will be. So I'm going to ask your general thoughts on that because you are running for a state house of representatives position in general. What are your thoughts on abortion and how it should be managed or not managed by the government? So as a man, um, I can't ovulate, so I shouldn't regulate, right? Okay. That's, that's my personal, but from a legislative standpoint, I think that it's also important to point out that Wade versus Roe was centered around um, the Fourth, 14th Amendment. Right. And a lot of people forget this. So I think it's key to point out that it was about privacy. Right. So by overturning Wade versus Roe, this thing goes much deeper than just abortion. Because now your privacy with your primary care physician now can also be shared with you know whoever and however. And that part is lost with the conversation. But when I think about choice, when we do not want the government to have control over something as simple as mass mandates, right. Right, then we also have to understand that we're making a contradiction when we want the government to have control over bodies. Sure. So um, it's a, a slippery slope. Um, every child that I fathered was born. So I've never um, right. advocated for an abortion, but I do respect the fact 
that women have a right to choose what they do with their bodies, um, whether or not the government um, should dictate what that looks like or not. I think that's where a lot of people are getting lost in the sauce. And then, you know, the, from the religious aspect of it, that comes into question. Sure. But I pose this question, and I'll ask you the same thing just to kind of leave it in your head. When I look at the um, Ten Commandments, and it says, that's an I kill, there's no exception to that. It doesn't say I can kill the bee that landed on my shoulder. Right. Or, you know, so it's, it's very broad. But when it comes to this particular issue, that's what a lot of individuals quickly run to. Sure. And I think, you know, we have to be responsible when we're talking about and trying to push the the religious aspect onto yeah. government like that. Yeah, there, there's a bigger conversation. We're not going to get into it here um, about where life begins, Correct. right? So I think that that's really the crux of it. If you don't believe that life begins at conception, then I can understand the logic that you just laid out, where it is really just that woman's body until a certain point or when the baby's born, whatever. Um, but for people like me, I believe that life begins at conception. Uh, I don't think it's right to take a human life, but I 100% agree with your opinion. Most folks are anti-abortion and not pro-life. Correct. Most anti-abortion folks are okay with the government killing someone uh, when they've been convicted of a crime. I am not okay with you that. stole my thought. Yep. So, so you know, and that's, that's why I, I try to, you know, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm sure I have terrible opinions on, on many things, but I try to be a little more consistent in being pro-life rather than just anti-abortion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I disagree with your lot, your thoughts on it, but I'm not going to beat you up over it, right? Because like, I don't think that, that you and I, you know, uh, I don't think you and I are really going to change anything in this room talking about it anyway, but I, I would, I just felt I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. Um, so that, that makes what you're saying makes sense, even though we'll sort of agree to disagree on that one. Right. Um, so let's go to some of the, I'm going to pull up the Facebook post. I want to ask some of these questions. Okay. Um, and, and to the goobers who sent me private messages, um, with goober questions, I'm not asking your questions. So you know who you are. Um, but I'm not going to ask. So, um, Let's talk about, uh, let's dovetail into that. Someone did ask about um, vaccine and mask mandates. Obviously, COVID's been a huge thing. Um, I am not pro-mask mandate, and I'm, I'm not pro-COVID vaccine mandate. I have some concerns about the COVID vaccine. I would not allow my daughter, she's not vaccinated, I'm not going to let her get vaccinated until they, my, my worry with vaccines, I'll just preface this question, is this particular vaccine doesn't have a lot of data, right? It doesn't have a lot of people who've taken it. And then over the years, we see what happens to them with children in particular. We, we don't have data that just isn't because they haven't been around long enough to show what impacts this vaccine could have on a child as they grow, right? And, and you know, I'm not claiming that there are, it just worries me that there could be, right? Um, so if you get elected to Tallahassee and, you know, COVID uh, vaccine or mass mandates come up as an item. What are your thoughts in general on forcing people via the government to either wear a mask or get vaccinated? Uh, my response will be no. Um, when I was in the military, we had to take the anthrax shot going over to Iraq. And that anthrax shot messed my heart up. So I know personally the impacts of those forced vaccines and what they can do. So it, to the point to where I had to have open heart surgery to correct um, what they, what it did. Now, you know, when you go into the military, you got to take these physicals, so right. I had no issues. But so in the very beginning of the COVID with the, the mass, I went over to um, 
and, and spoke about the importance of wearing a mask. Sure. But since then, my position has changed simply because, you know, I really considered, one, what took place with me. Two, if I'm going to take a position that people should be able to choose what they do um, in the best interest of their cells and their bodies, then how can I also be right. supportive of you need to have your face required? Sure. I mean, not, not required, covered yeah, yeah, yeah. up. Um, thank you for that. So that's where I'm at with the whole mandate of vaccines. It's your body. I took um, the Johnson & Johnson, only one. I didn't do any boosters or any right. of that stuff because if something went wrong five years down the line, I want to be able to pinpoint, okay, it was the Johnson & Johnson, yep. even though people told me not to. Yep. So I think we have to be careful with trying to mandate people, inject themselves into something like, to your point, that's not really evidence-based at this time. Right. And whatever data that's currently out there is too premature to say how this is going to impact each person 10 years down the road. And, and that is, and it's funny because when, when I was saying things like that, you know, when the vaccines first came out, people told me I was nuts, right? Mm-hmm. And lots of other folks. But now even like Pfizer has said, well, yeah, we're going to have to do a lot more testing and studies and see like what the long-term effects of some of the stuff. There are some crazy conspiracy theories out there still, and, and maybe they'll end up being true one day. I don't know about specific things that supposedly these vaccines are causing. I got vaccinated. I took the Pfizer vaccine. I've not had a booster, but I took the initial Pfizer vaccine simply because I'm, you know, I'm sort of a big dude. I'm a little bit overweight and I have high blood pressure. So for me, uh, it was a calculated risk, right? I caught it once and, and, and I felt like I was very lucky that I didn't get complications considering my, you know, sort of lack of physical exercise and my slight high blood pressure. But I tell you now, the more I know about it, I would never take it again. Like I would not, uh, I would not get a booster. I, 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 I think, um, the best way to fight for someone like me, and, and, and I'm only speaking for me on this, the best way for someone like me to fight off COVID if I get it again is to get in better shape, to just be overall healthy. The healthier you are, the less likely you are to have severe complications. And of course, obviously anything can happen, but that's good to know. That That's sort of a, I, I bet if I had pulled 10 people and asked them to tell me what they thought your position on that would be, they would have said the exact opposite, that they thought that you were going to say, oh yeah, definitely got to have the vaccines and got to have the mask. So it's good to hear that um, that's not the case. Um, so another, um, another big thing right now at the state level is this concept of parental rights and education, right? Um, I think it is a term, much like many other terms, that people say and they don't understand what it means. So I want to ask you a question that sort of relates to that, but isn't exactly that. What do you think that in, in a dispute between a parent and a school system, and, and let's assume it's not something where like the parents have done something that's criminally wrong, okay. right? But in a dispute between a parent and the school system, who should have the final say on, on the outcome of, of a child's education if, if the school system and the parents are at odds? And I know that's a very general question, so forgive me. I, I'm, I'm trying to keep okay. it general so that it's, you know. Well, if it's your child, um, key word is your. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean, my child. Like, So I am a parent, and I have a dispute with the school system over my child, not yeah. somebody else's. Well, no, I'm just saying yeah. in general, even if it was my child, right, yeah. the, the, the still would be my child. Right. So ultimately, I would have the ultimate say-so over what's in the best interest of my child. Now, the school is there to provide an education for that child. But in terms of what's in the best interest of my child, that's where I guess my conservative side comes out. Right. Um, because I, I do believe in some traditional things. Yep. Like, I don't believe that schools um, should be the sexualization right. of, of kids. That's 
that's a conversation that I reserve the right as a parent to have with my child when I feel that it's appropriate about whatever that entails. And I don't think that should be forced within the classrooms on kids. Yep. Um, So now, but going back and forth with school board members, for example, or even the superintendent, if I have a concern and I request a meeting with the school board and I don't get the answer that I'm satisfied with, I'm left with a few options. Right. right? And this is where school choice kind of comes into place. Um, am I going to homeschool my child? Am I going to send my child to a, you know, a private school or, or whatever? But ultimately, that decision still falls on me, and I would have to live with whatever those consequences are if there are sure. really any down the line. So you're not, you're not opposed to um, homeschooling and, and people using either even charter schools or private schools, right? You think that that's because that's a lot of folks that have the Democrat by their name that run for office, you know, they're very much like you have to go to public school and public school is the only answer. And, and I've always said that, that public school is like anything else. When you have thousands of people involved and they're trying to use this one system to service everybody, just naturally, you're going to have people who aren't getting what they feel they need from that system. And you have to have some sort of uh, pressure relief valve in the forms of charter school, private school, um, you know, things like that. All right, cool. That's good. That's good to know because I think, again, that's another opinion that if somebody, if I'd asked people what they probably thought you were going to say about that, being oh, quote, having the quote-unquote big scary Democrat next to your name on the ballot, they would not have said that you would you would be okay with, uh, with school choice. Um, so there's a couple other interesting ones here. Um, I'm going to just give this, uh, th- this is sort of a bugaboo question, and I think this is something that, that Republicans use uh, to um, <laughs> to scare people. Um, you know, we had Kat Kamek in Congress who was going to the border in Texas, even though she's a representative of the state of Florida, mm-hmm. to talk about illegal immigration, right? Um, what are your thoughts in general on, on immigration? Do you feel like in Florida, I don't care about Texas, like, listen, just straight up, if you're listening, like in Florida, do you feel like there's an illegal immigration issue or is there anything you would do differently? I guess, what are your thoughts in general on immigration in Florida? I think in order to, to answer that, um, in an educated manner, I would have to know exactly what those numbers are. Right. With, with immigrants in Florida, because there's a lot of national talking points that people love to to pull from. Right. And that doesn't necessarily impact Florida. And when I think about um, we don't have a border in Florida. Right. That's that's number one. Yeah. So, not a, no land border. There's yeah, no there's yeah. no we don't touch Mexico. No one is no one is walking over our border because it's Correct. literally oceans. Correct. So when I hear politicians and even other candidates talk about it, I'm where are they getting this information from? Right. Or are you just simply trying to appeal to a certain audience? Right. Um, now, if there's, you know, when I think about immigration, I think that there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. Right. So um, go through the proper process in order to um, be documented as well as to gain your citizenship. My wife was born in Costa Rica, um, her and, and she became a citizen through the United States military. Right. So, you know, there's always a right way to, to do sure. things. But I think that, unfortunately, way too often when we talk about immigration, it's more added on to it than what we need to be looking Correct. at. Because in Clay County, do we have an immigration problem? In the- Listen, you know, <laughs> I don't know if there's an immigration problem in Florida. My, my gut tells me probably not not the way that, that there is in, in some of the other states. I do think Texas and Arizona have a different issue. I think you right. have the drug cartel smuggling people in and doing some different things. So that that's a whole different, Correct. different rodeo down there. 
I've always said sort of the same thing that I think you just said. I, I, I think the immigration system is broken. I don't think it works right. I don't think it's really serving a, a good purpose. We should encourage people to come here. Um, you know, I see businesses all the time, every day talking about, well, we can't hire enough people. We can't hire enough people. Please come work, come work, come work, come work. So apparently people in America aren't filling those jobs, Correct. right? So there's got to be a way, and I don't know what the exact solution is, but there's got to be a way to find people who want to come here and want to be hard workers and want to do, want to, want to live the American dream that we always tell people is the ideal that we should all strive for. We got to, there's got to be an easier way to get those people here and then weed out the folks that we don't want, right? Um, you know, I, I, I understand people's concerns over people pouring over the border. Um, Republicans are going to be upset with me. I, I think what Ron DeSantis did in flying those people up to, uh, you know, New Hampshire or wherever it was. I'll or whatever it you. Yeah. It, it's just, <laughs> well, why are you doing that, dude? Yeah. Like, why are you, you know, it, it, uh, it just, you know, it, it, those are human beings. Correct. Like, you know, that the, they're, they are people and I just, I hate that. Uh, I think, you know, I just hate that anybody, even, even when the other side does, even when the other party does, it, I think it's just terrible. We shouldn't be doing that. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, I just, I think there's gotta be a way to treat people as, human beings and humanely and control the border in a way that's healthy for our country, but is not so restrictive that we're just not letting anybody in. I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot um, as far as that goes. So yeah, you know, and I'm with you, like nobody's, nobody's walking over the border. Like, you know, and if they're coming in on boats, if you came across, like, you know, if you came from Costa Rica to Florida on a boat, I'm almost like, you know what? That's in, that's enough ingenuity that I'm like, you know, maybe you we deserve should, to be here. Maybe, maybe we should let you stay. Yeah. And you know, the whole boogeyman of like uh, illegal immigrants coming to steal people's jobs. Like, I, I am a product manager by trade. I have zero concern that someone is going to sneak into America from whatever country and take my job. Yeah. Like zero, you know, um, these, you know, and, and I don't mean to belittle the work that most immigrants do when they come here, but the work that most immigrants are doing physical labor. Right. So most jobs that quote unquote immigrants are quote unquote taking are not the people complaining about the immigrants taking jobs aren't doing the jobs that immigrants might I'm actually doing be anyway. doing. Right. right. Um, you know, so I, I just think a lot of a lot of this stuff, like you said, it's a very politically charged. Um, so what I think I hear you saying to summarize and you tell me I'm wrong uh, if I'm wrong. Um, is that you want to assess what the numbers really are. What, what is the actual situation and then make decisions on what the actual situation is and not the politicized nonsense that we hear. Right. Mm -hmm. You did a great summation. Yeah, what a, what a novel idea, right? <laughs> Actually act on facts and, uh, you know, instead of the, the uh, you know, emotionally charged nonsense that we hear from some folks. So, all right, let's go back to something that's on your platform. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're not going to get to much more because I don't want to take up your whole day because I know you got things to do. Um, so affordable housing, right? I got in a lot of trouble with the Republican Party here and, and some other folks. I was called a liberal and... And uh, all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, crazy progressive person. And I didn't even, you know, so there, there was uh, an uh, affordable housing apartment complex is being built somewhere in the Brandon Field area. I don't know exactly mm -hmm. where, um, but it's going to have, you know, afford, uh, uh, places to live that aren't crazy expensive, right? And affordable. And I don't believe, but I could be wrong, I don't think it was done with any tax dollars. And, and I highlighted it in the Clay County Politics Forum Facebook group and was like, there is a housing crisis happening right now that I think a lot of people don't realize. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If I didn't already live here, I don't know that I could afford to live here. Correct. Right? It's just crazy, the house prices. And that has cooled some. So I see on your, your, you know, your info that you talk about affordable housing is one of the things that's part of your platform. What are your thoughts on affordable housing? How do we create affordable housing 
so that people, normal working middle-class folks have a place to live and aren't boxed out. Cause that's what it feels like is happening to me right now. I think we have to change our attitude on some things. Um, uh, last year when I decided to run for office, I had an opportunity to meet with a, co- a couple of county commissioners. And one of them said to me that the people who are in Clay County can afford to be in Clay County. Cause I, I raised this question, how do we, and what does that look like moving forward for people who want to reside in Clay County, but because of the lack of affordable housing, they may not be able to. So that response was very disturbing to me. I bet you off the air I can guess who said that, but I'm not going to ask you to name the name. You probably could. And the person compared it to a project in, in Chicago that was known as Cabrini Green. That, matter of fact, Good Times, that, that, that mm-hmm. sitcom, was based around. They didn't want Clay County to become that. <clears throat> now, there was a lot of micro aggression associated with that comment. Yeah, I hate I hate the, the, the concept of microaggression. I'm gonna just say what it was. That that was outright rudeness, right? Yeah. That's what I a lot of people microaggression feels like a politically correct term for people just being rude and, and trying yeah. to be low key rude, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. So when when I when I think about affordable housing, I know that we have hundreds of millions of dollars in the Sandusky Trust Fund that has not been properly used by our state legislators. In fact, it's been a slush fund for a, a great period of time that we have to address and begin to really hold those that's in office and trusted with those public funds accountable because there's money that's been set aside and allocated for um, affordable housing, but that money goes everywhere else except for affordable housing. Gee, it's almost sort of like the ADP mess. The folks that are in charge currently in Tallahassee are, are not really taking care of the people they don't think are going to vote for them anyway. Oh, well, who would have thought? Again, my opinion, not Cornelius Jones' opinion, but uh, but it's weird, weird how the system works that way, right? Yeah. Uh, so you think some of those funds could be used to, to, to do affordable housing projects? Those funds were designed specifically for affordable housing, nothing else, to give um, everyday Americans an opportunity at home ownership and to live in quality neighborhoods. So if we know that we have this money available, why isn't it being utilized? Yeah, and what's wild, too, is that, I, I, you know, there's these stigmas around affordable housing, um, but everyone loves Habitat for Humanity. Well, that's the same thing. Habitat for Humanity, that's, that's, that is a slow, long-term affordable housing project. That's what it is. Now it's building single-family homes, mm-hmm. right? But it's the same concept. We're helping people who couldn't afford it otherwise to afford it. And I, and I can tell you, like, what I can afford now is not what I could afford 15 years ago. So not everybody who needs, you know, houses that are affordable <laughs> is just someone who is, is you know, a person that is – you know, a bad, quote unquote, bad person, whatever, whatever these folks think that have the, those concerns, right? There are folks like me who start, like I started, uh, when my wife and I got married, I was working in a call center. I was working uh, at the Florida Times Union in in classified advertising sales. And let me tell you, like, uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't destitute, but, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, we weren't exactly rolling in the dough, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, but now I don't do that. I do something Mm -hmm. different. Like my job is different. I make more money. God has blessed me greatly. Um, You know, and I I think we have to make a path for people like that who who aren't in a spot. Like not everybody's just born into money like some of these folks are, right? Like, you know, and it's, you know, anyway, I I think you and I, you and I agree on that. I, and again, it's one of those things where I don't know that like government is always the right solution. And that was my thought when people got so upset. I didn't, I said nothing about the government Uh setting up affordable housing. My question in the group was, how do we make housing affordable for people who can't afford the housing that's currently there? And people, oh, well, you just got to work extra jobs and you got to lift yourself up by your bootstraps. And, 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 and I'm all for hard work. Like, you know, 
But that's also sort of a subtle bias against people who need affordable housing is that they're not hard workers. Well, you can't afford something nice because you're lazy. You well, don't work hard. But see, right? the truth is that money is already allocated for it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the government is asking people, taxpayers, for more money. It's right. already sitting yeah. there. Seems like a layup, right? Like, yep. you know, it's already there. It's already been stolen from me, so you might as well do some good with it. All right? you got to do is put it to use. Right. So, but I do agree with you. I think that there's a negative connotation behind that because so many of us have this, this um, entitled attitude that I pulled myself up and so should you. Well, I was born and raised in a impoverished community that um, that unfortunately would have um, been qualified for affordable housing or, or the need to. So the government had some programs in place to help the family out. So for me, nothing is emotional. Everything is either rational or irrational. And I think that attitude is irrational because if you've never had to struggle and you never, because it's not fair to that small child to to have to grow up and be without simply because the parents may not have had the same opportunities or perhaps made bad choices. Right. So that's what we got to consider. We we have a lot of kids in our state that are homeless. There, There are many more kids in Clay County schools even that are homeless than, than you would think. And I'm not going to out those stats because I don't know if those are public stats, but I had a conversation with somebody who's in the know mm-hmm. uh, recently, and I was shocked by the number of students in Clay County schools who do not have a place to live. Um, so anyway, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. But, but, uh, but, but no, I'm, I'm just, I just think about when we say that we, we care about kids, then we got to take advantage of the opportunities that we have to help kids in these different unfortunate circumstances. And if building affordable housing and a uh, affording that child an opportunity to grow up with some stability, which we know also helps them to be better productive citizens as they become adults. There's evidence to support that of kids who have homes and how they versus every couple of years shifting from one residence to the next. Right. Then why would we as adults and people who consider ourselves to be intellectuals not do us in the best interest of kids? Yeah, just in general, like, you know, if you have the opportunity to do something that is helpful and kind, you know, and you don't do it, like, you know, and again, I'm not advocating for any additional taxes or anything, but, but, you know, with a lot of these things that I see, like, it's just one of those things, like, there's some hard-heartedness on, on, the part of some folks where they're just like, why, why should, why should we help them? Like, nobody ever helped me, like, well, yeah, that sucks. I wish somebody had helped you if you needed help and you didn't get it. Like, I hate that that happened to you, but, you know, if there's an opportunity to do some good there. Um, all right, so one last question from the Facebook okay. group, and this is this is all I'm going to ask, and then I'll give it back to you for your closing statements or anything else you want to talk about. Um, sky, uh, the skyrocketing price of homeowner insurance in Florida, right? Um, somebody has asked, do you have any ideas or thoughts on what do we, what do we do about that? Because a lot of carriers are leaving and prices are skyrocketing and there's like these wacky like 10% surcharges on some of the bills and, and any thoughts on that? To answer that question, honestly, no, I, I don't have a, a solution for that. Um, I think that, again, for me, <clears throat> I always try to do my research before speaking on matters because that gives me um, the best chance of not lying to people. Right. right? So that's something I would certainly have to take a look at. I know that it's a problem. Well, if it makes you feel better, your opponent doesn't have any answers either. Um, (laughs) And so, uh, and that, again, my opinion, not according to Elias Jones' opinion, so don't beat him up over it. Um, I I think I'll just put my thoughts out there on that then for the person that's asking. Um, 
I think the problem is that the government has regulated that industry. I think you, the carriers that don't want to be here, let them pull out. And if there is a market for homeowners insurance in the state, other companies will come in. Somebody though, we, we, we everybody hates capitalism, but that's exactly how a, a free market works. If there's a vacuum and there's a service that's needed, somebody will step up and provide that service. I do think also, you know, I think it's okay for private insurance companies to tell somebody who built a $4 million house literally on sand uh, 10 feet away from a beach that, hey, guess what? Where you built your house is too risky. We're not going to give you insurance. You are assuming the risk of building. I don't, I don't think we should require homeowners insurance. I don't think you can force a private company to insure somebody if they're saying, hey, it's, it's unprofitable for me because the goal of insurance companies is, is make to make money. money just like any other company. So, mm-hmm. all right. So... Any other topics you want to touch on before I give give you a chance to do your elevator pitch on why we should vote for you? Um, I touched on uh, affordable housing. I touched on we touched on a few different things. I I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, well, you just have to come back on the show if you listen, think I'll, of something I'll, else. I would right? love to. You know? I would love to. So my elevator pitch is this: I'm running on a position of people of a party. I think for far too long here in Clay County, just like the rest of America, there's been partisanship. I've never been in agreement with blind partisanship. You have to listen to the people who um, and understand where they're at, where they're at on the different positions. Right. Like you said here today, there would have been some assumptions about me being a Democratic right. candidate on where I stand, and we have to do a better job in Clay County with affording candidates an opportunity to be heard and right. not just box them out because this is a predominantly red county and without understanding that hey these people may share some things that's in your your best interest so i've made it a priority to go to as many doors as possible as the candidate not as my team and just try to connect with people find out what the issues are important to them not walk in with a already rehearsed elevator speech on what i want them to tell them um and i have not made any promises Right. So I'm, I'm very intentional about that because I cannot make a promise for a job that I've never done. But I am committed to certain things, and those are the items that's on my platform. Sure. And those are the things that I will work in Tallahassee to try to change. And all I simply ask voters for is a fair chance on November the 8th um, and not to, you know, um, just discount me because I'm not a homegrown Republican right. from Clay County. As you heard today, I am conservative in some ways on some issues. I'm not a radical. I'm not a right. you know, whatever that stuff people love. To. I can confirm he's not wearing an Antifa shirt. He's not, uh, you know, he's not, uh, he's not, he's not wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you, you have to be, you have to be sensible. Right. And you have to um, understand the best interests of the county is where everyone benefits, not just the people that vote for you and not just people who we're the same elephant or donkey that you support. So, right. Yeah. And I will say you're the only person running for any of the state races this year that has the guts to come and do an interview like this. Awesome. They, they, you know, and that's on both sides. Like, listen, both, both parties, both mainline parties, generally the candidates, they don't want to give their opinions because God forbid they ever change their mind on anything and have to explain it. Right. So anyway, Cornelius, I have really enjoyed this conversation. I wish you the best of luck in the polls. If you're listening and you want to know more about Cornelius, I know he's on Facebook. He also has CorneliusForFlorida.com. He's out and about. He's everywhere. He's also got several posts in the Clay County Politics Forum Facebook group. Uh, So check out some of the stuff he's put there. And and I would highly encourage you to reach out to him, have a conversation, 
Uh, and I think that uh, you will be pleasantly surprised, uh, you know, talking with him. So, Mr. Jones, Cornelius, thank you for coming on the show, man. Thank you so much.